following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Let me ask you this fundamental question that you probably have already asked this season, and that is this, what do you want for Christmas? What's interesting, it's really a common question, but the uncommon answers are what our kids say. If you ask them, what do you want for Christmas, parents have actually made lists of the crazy things that kids have asked for for Christmas, and I'm hoping that you'll expand that list for me sometime today, maybe mention it to me, what your kids asked for. But I made a list of them, and here they are. Number one, my three-year-old really wants an invisible puppy for Christmas. And then the wife went on to say, but I don't think we can afford it, uh, which I don't know what that means. Uh, my four-year-old asked for a Costco-size bottle of ketchup. Why? To use on all his meals, not just dinner. And then my 10-year-old asked for a butler. Not sure what's behind that. Uh, my five-year-old daughter asked for a can of chocolate frosting and a spoon, obvious. My 15-year-old, this is classic, asked for his own personal one pound of bacon just for him. My four-year-old asked (laughs) if he could be adopted somewhere, anywhere, (laughs) anywhere. And then then my (laughs) six-year-old asked for bananas and zucchini. Why? Well, in her mind, logically, so she could bake some bread. You know what I mean? So that's what she needed. Amazing thing about this season, it was originally designed to celebrate a momentous moment in history when God himself becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ. But it is a profound birthday celebration, which is all so lost its focus because we primarily don't ask the big question that you have to ask at a birthday celebration is, what do you want for your birthday? So what does Jesus Christ want for his birthday? I want to explore that through the life of Simeon. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. You've got to have a Bible, and you've got to open it to Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and following, and then we'll be following along in the outline that you were handed. So make sure you track with us. It could be an electronic outline. It could be a print outline, whatever. But 2,000 years ago, it's very much like today. It was kind of a dark time. People who were seeking the Lord, there had been already 400 years of silence between the close of the Old Testament and now the opening of this moment. Religion had become routine, kind of cold, and different, mechanical, heartless. Living in society became kind of dangerous. There wasn't a lot of security in it. It was risky day-to-day struggle. Government was harsh. It was sometimes over-demanding, even cruel. The economy was very uncertain, and people had little hope. It was a very dark time, and they had many, many, many fears. In the midst of this kind of world, though, a man named Simeon was waiting. He'd been told by God that he would see salvation. He would see the Messiah, and he was waiting for the Savior to appear. And then on one very special day that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 2, 25 and following, you have Jesus coming in the temple in Jerusalem, being carried by Mary and alongside her, Joseph. Jesus, at this point, is only eight days old, 
And in this encounter, Simeon actually shows us what God wants for Christmas. What are the gifts that you can give Christ for Christmas in this particular encounter? In fact, the three gifts like that, that the wise men bring, there are three things that you can bring to Christ. So what does he want for Christmas? Point number one in your outline. Stay with me now. And that would be, number one, your life. He wants your life. Read verse 25. And there was a man living in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, what was his life like? We don't know anything about his background, where he came from. We don't know what kind of job he had, whether he was popular, unpopular. We're not sure why he was you know, here at this particular point, except for that God had told him he would see the Messiah. We know nothing about his relatives, but God is not really concerned about any of those things. He doesn't want that from you. What he wants from you is your life. And the Bible reaffirms this in other places. You can see it in John chapter 12, verse 25. If you look at your outline, in the Living Version, it says, if you love your life down here, you will what? Lose it. If you despise your life down here, you will exchange it for eternal glory. He says that another way in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, it says the same truth differently. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will what? Save it. Now, what does that mean to give Jesus your life? Well, let's look at three different elements that Simeon brings out in this particular encounter. First, live with integrity. When you give Christ your life, it means you live with integrity. Did you notice how Simeon lived? Verse 25, he was righteous, if you look there, and it says he was devout. Righteous means he lived rightly before men. Devout means that he lived rightly before God. And even when no one could see him, even when he was home alone, so to speak, and no one could observe his behavior, observe his speech or his, his lifestyle, he was one who lived rightly before God, even in little things. Now, the Bible affirms us even in other places, like David. King David would say this in Psalm 101, verse 2. He says, I walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. He's saying, look, when no one could see you, students, when no one could see you, mom or dad, he would live and walk with integrity. Now, integrity is kind of hard to define, but you know what it is. It means to be consistent. It means that the way you live at home, you live in the public, etc. Uh, I, I like the Statue of Liberty. It's kind of a mini illustration of that because when the, the, the sculptor designed the Statue of Liberty and then it was designed into that huge statue that we see in New York Harbor, it basically is perfectly well done. But if you look on top of it, underneath her crown, underneath her you know, uh, ornament, is basically her hair and it's perfect. The whole statue is done really, really well, but her hair is perfect. What makes that integrity is this. When he designed it, there were no airplanes. When he designed it, there were no helicopters. The only thing that would ever see the top of her head was seagulls. And yet, he designed it and didn't skip over on that, but designed it in such a way that it would be a thing of beauty even if no one saw it. He had no idea that there would be airplanes at that particular time and that's a life of integrity. You do what's right, 
even though no one sees. You do what's right, even though no one's around. And that's a life of integrity. Public and private are the same. When Christ changes your life, what you are in private becomes more and more in what you are in public. In fact, how you live in your room and out with your friends is the same. Now, we're not talking about those sudden scary moments that you don't want anybody to see at home. And I know you've had this kind of embarrassment. Uh, sometimes on Wednesday, I'll, I'll you know, get up and go immediately to my study and start studying and preparing for Sunday, etc. And I don't change clothes. I don't comb my hair. I don't brush my teeth. I'm in my scuzzy pajamas, and I'm looking pretty disgusting. And if Jean were very honest, she would say, I smell pretty bad. Okay, so all that's occurring and yet no one sees that, right? But then one of her friends comes to the door. What do I do? I scurry to the bedroom, put on a hat, make sure there's nothing gross on my face to make sure that it's not disgusting. Anybody fall into that? Anybody have that experience, right? Well, that's not integrity. That's just bad pajamas, okay, friends? That's just stinky. Uh, what we're saying is your character, your behavior, how you live your life is right before God when no one sees. That's a life of integrity, and that's what Simeon lived, and that's what Christ wants. Christ wants your life, even when no one's looking or everyone's looking, to be lived honestly before him. That's a life of integrity, and that's what he wants from you when you give your life to him. Also giving your life, secondly in your outline, is to live with obedience, to live with obedience to God's word. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says this, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon was looking for the promised Savior. Can you picture and imagine as he went into the temple, and he's going, Boy, is that the one? Is that the one? He sees some big guy, and he goes, is that, is that the Messiah? I know that mighty guy over there. I've never seen him before. No, that's not the one. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And then that day occurred where the Spirit of God affirmed to him as he's looking at this very young couple. They're poor. They're from Nazareth, and they have a little infant. And that was revealed to him, that little baby, was God in a bod. God had been born as a man, a baby. Simeon didn't look for the outward appearance. Simeon wasn't impressed. Uh, Simeon didn't say, uh, God, I, I thought that it had to be somebody who was more mighty, more majestic than this. No, he accepted God at his word. He took God at his word. He obeyed God's word, and he manifested obedience. And that's what he wants from you, a life of obedience. That's what glorifies God, and that's what also brings you great blessing. A lot of people claim to be Christians today, a lot of people, but they don't desire to obey God's word. Oh, they give him acknowledgement from this and that or a award ceremony, but they don't want to obey his word. They don't desire that. But the Bible teaches that every true Christian wants to obey the Bible and does obey the Bible. So much so, look at these verses, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments. Jesus even pointedly asked in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? You can't do that. You can't call me Lord and not do what I say. 
In fact, he says, if you're truly the friend of God, Jesus says in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I what? Command you. Now hear me. Jesus is not talking about religion. He's not talking about obeying God's commands. It has nothing to do with whether you drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Okay, it's not talking about that. He's talking about something other than religion because Jesus hates religion. He absolutely hates it. He hated what the Pharisees taught, which is an external religion. And he hated that. No, true Christians obey God's word, the Bible, because they have a heart that wants to obey. Why do true born-again real Christians obey God's word? Because they have this transformed heart that desires to obey God from the heart even when they fail to obey God from the heart. Do you understand? Christians aren't perfect people. They do disobey God, but even in their disobedience, they go, I, I should have obeyed. I want to obey. I want to please my Lord because they have a new heart that wants to. That's what Romans 6.17 says. Look at it. It says, you became obedient from the what? The heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. God gave you, if you're saved, an obedient heart, a heart that wants to obey. If you're born again, you've got that heart. If you're not born again, you don't have that heart. So when a so-called Christian says to you or says to me, oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, that's an indication of a wrong heart. That comment is indicating that they don't want to obey because the Bible tells us, again, commands us to gather together, to worship together because Christians have a new heart that wants to obey. They have a desire to worship, to serve, to give, to care for others. And Simeon had that heart. He wanted to obey God. He waited for God to reveal the Messiah to him. And God wants that from you this Christmas. He wants that from you. In fact, he not only wants that, but thirdly in your outline, if you give your life to Christ, live with dependence. You live with dependence. Verses 25 and 27. Look at the end of verse 25 and 27. It says, And the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And then verse 27, the very first part, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. He was moved and depended upon the Spirit of God. He relied upon the Spirit of God. And when you're born again, you are indwelt with the third person of the Trinity. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And in order to know the power of the Spirit through you, you and I are to be, according to Ephesians 5.18, filled with that Spirit of God. Filled with that Spirit. Not only does that mean you're saturated in God's Word, not only does that mean that you confess all known sin, you serve your gift within the context of the church, you share the gospel in the world, but primarily, primarily being filled with the Spirit is dependence. Dependence upon the Spirit of God in everything, and then exercising your will to walk in obedience to His Word. But you're dependent. And unless you're filled with the Spirit, you can't please God. You can't do anything that would please Christ. Helping the handicapped, giving sacrificially, doing nice things for your family or others or strangers means nothing. It doesn't please God. It does not count for eternity. It's not rewardable unless it's done in God's strength and for God's glory. Those are the two caveats. Everything we do, if it's done in God's strength for God's glory, it counts. It's worth it. It honors Him. Otherwise not. You must be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you ought to write this down. Only God is good. Can I hear an amen to that? Only God is good. And the only good things we really do is when the good God does good things through you. Only God is good. And the only good things you ever do and I ever do is when the good God does good things through you. 
Simeon was moved by the Spirit and pleasing Christ, living a daily dependence upon the Spirit of God. A true Christian, really, this is how you live your life. You don't strive to do things for God. But you have God and desire to strive to have God live through you in everything you do. Again, you don't try to do good things for God. You strive to have God live through you in everything you do. And that's what makes it good. It's as if you go through life whitewater rafting. Anybody been whitewater rafting? Okay, about a few of you. How many been whitewater rafting through class, anyway, 5 all the way to 10? The classification is now up to 10. Any 9 or 10 rapids? Anybody? Okay, I've done that. And when you're in the Grand Canyon and you're going up a 40-foot wall and you're wanting to survive that, there's one thing that you do. You grab onto every rope, every strap, everything you can, and you hang on for dear life. It's the greatest roller coaster you could ever be on, but man, it's free willy, and it's crazy. Okay? And you hang on. Well, that's life. Sometimes life is a nice, easy paddle, is it not? But there are times you're hanging on to dear life. Listen, all of life is meant for us to hang on, to hang on to depend on the Spirit of God in order to live for God and by his word. Understand, you go through life saying, God, I can't do this, but you can through your spirit through me. You can through your spirit through me. The life he wants from you, if you want to give Jesus what he wants for Christmas, it is an obedient, dependent life of integrity. But Simeon even goes beyond a life offered to God. He says, here's gift number two. First is your life. I'm offering it to you Oh, hey, Lord Jesus, on your birthday, but I'm also offering you worship. Second gift is your worship. Now, picture yourself in the temple. I suppose Simeon walked over to the couple and asked permission to hold the child because it says he did exactly that in verse 28, may I hold your child. And picture this moment. This moment for Simeon is the the stasis moment of his life. This is the key moment of his life. Everything that he's hoped for now and the latter years of his life as God revealed that he would see the Messiah is now holding the infant Jesus Christ in his arms and he praised God. Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant. I can die now and go in peace. I mean, he must have been old. And according to your word, for my eyes have seen your, what's that word? salvation. Jesus is our salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Are we even going to benefit from this? Praise God. And the glory of your people Israel. Simeon, he worshiped God. And the birth of the Savior should cause us to shout the same things the angels shouted. What did they shout? Glory to God in the highest. Amen? God wants true worshipers this Christmas. So let's make sure we understand worship. In John 4, it says the Father seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Now understand, when you read the Bible, both Old and New Testament, there are very, very few things that God seeks from you. But one thing he makes very clear in the New Testament is that you would be a worshiper because that's what he seeks. He desires worshipers. And Simeon showed us how to worship, not just with your mind or attendance or your, your you know, showing up somewhere or your routine. Verses 28 to 32 shows us Simeon's worship. Uh, that was his entire being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what kind of worship does this look like? Well, it says first in your outline, worship with your whole heart. Worship with your whole heart. Verse 28, Simon 
Simeon, excuse me, blessed God. With all his heart, Simeon magnified God, shouted praise to God, acknowledged all of God's goodness. Simeon was all in. He was a living sacrifice. This is my life. And that's what true worship is. Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart. I can die in peace according to your word, he says. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and that salvation is in an eight-day-old baby. Some people, when they come to church, they just come to listen and attend. And there are other people, when they come to church, they worship. Where they offer themselves their entire life to Christ as a living sacrifice, and that is true worship. And you know it is, Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, everything I just wrote in Romans, all the mercies that God has given to us, I present your body, that's all of you, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. That's worship. Offering my life, my body to him. When you sang praise this morning, would Jesus say of you what he said in Matthew 15, 8? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. That happens a lot. God wants your life of worship, not merely your songs or attendance or listening or fellowship. The gift that the Lord Jesus Christ wants from you this Christmas is you beginning every day, every new day, saying from your heart, my life, Lord, is yours. The gift that God wants from you every day is to start every day from your heart saying, my life is yours, Lord Jesus. He also wants our worship to be with trust. Secondly, with trust. With trust. When life was at its darkest, Simeon waited on God's promises. The NIV in verse 29 says, the sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. So he says, as you have promised, the NASB affirms according to your word, Okay, according to your word, and Simon's worship included trusting in God's word. God had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. He trusted God at his word, and that was part of his worship. He trusted God. Your trust brings God glory. It is also for your good. And Simeon, he is old. He is tired. He wants to go home. He wants to die. He's ready to go home, and yet he continued to worship by trusting in God's promises every single day. Are you worshiping the Lord? Are you trusting in his promises? Come on. Can you name a promise like every good and perfect gift is from the Father, James 1, or whatever you're going through? Cast your anxiety upon him because he equally cares for you. He equally, it's the same word anxiety, has anxiety for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, for I'm confident of this very thing uh, that I just wrote, read, and that he began a good work in you and will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, are you trusting in his promises that you are really relying on his word? That's the gift that Jesus wants, and the worship he desires from you is according to truth, just like it was for Simeon, according to his word, as God had promised trusting in the word of God, depending on his promises, but also your worship is to be, thirdly, focused on Christ. Focused on Christ. Look at verses 30 through 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. At Christmas, we tend to focus on gifts and, and children and trees and meals and grandchildren. Christmas is a lot about so much more. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually wrote an incredible book on the miracles of the New Testament. And he summarized the greatest miracle of the New Testament, and it was the incarnation, when God was born as a man. That's the greatest miracle that has ever occurred. And that's what we celebrate and what Simeon calls God's salvation. He says, I have seen your salvation. Christmas is when our creator, the one who created the universe, the one who created all of this, the one who created you and I, when that creator basically was born as an infant. Can you imagine this? 100% God, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, takes upon himself 100% man. He becomes the God-man, equally fully God, equally fully man, in one person without confusion. Jesus Christ. And God did this so that he might show us who God is, and like tell us the message that God wants to tell us and that the sinless son of God in the gospels, he showed us God's power, he showed us God's mercy, he showed us God's holiness and grace and he came to rescue sinners from God the Father's almighty wrath for your sin. He's salvation and he came to save sinners. He was born as a baby to die in our place. You say, why? Because... You and I are not perfect. Can I hear an amen to that? You're not. Some people act like they are, but they're not. In fact, we have no ability to be right with God or to be his child on our own. We can't spend eternity with him forever. We can't be in heaven with him later. We have to be perfect to stand in God's presence. You might want to write this down. To stand in his presence, you have to be perfect. And you can't be and I can't be. We're all in the same boat. Your sin, your actions of anger or lust or lying or thoughts that are unworthy of God, all of that casts you out of heaven forever. You'll never be nice enough. You'll never be good enough. You have violated God's character. You have violated God's law. You have not lived according to the scripture that God laid out for us. And therefore, you are worthy of eternal death. You have defied God. You've gone your own way. I've gone my own way. We all did it. Now, some of you here have really not realized just how angry God is over your sin. But you and I can't be right with him on our own. We have all sinned. We've all fall short of his standard. In fact, there's an incurable hostility between God and you. All of you who live here, I'm confident, live better than Adolf Hitler. He didn't kill millions. Most of you live better than others at school or at work. A few of you live better than your entire family. That's all true. But none of you, including myself, live better than a holy, righteous, perfect God. We don't. You may not have sinned as much as others, but you and I have still sinned. And you may be better than others, but you're not as good as God. And that's why God says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory, the perfection, the righteousness of God. You and I have sinned. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. And as a result, we'll never be accepted in God's presence as our own. We can't live with Him now on our own. 
Something has to happen. We couldn't make it happen. So the good news is God did. God made it happen. Our sin is against God's law. Our sin is against God's character. And that cannot be fixed by us. And it is so offensive, the Lord God actually requires death. You have to die, and you have to eternally die. In other words, forever, in torment. But the good news is, Simeon says, God's salvation is for the Jew and the Gentile, for the Jew and everybody else. Everybody. It's for everybody. And how could it be accomplished? If a perfect man would die in mankind's place, then you and I would have a way to be forgiven for our sins, washed, spiritually clean, and made perfect in God's sight. You and I have to be covered in God's righteousness. Our sin needs to fall on Him. His righteousness needs to cover us. When we're covered in His righteousness, we can walk right with God. Not because of what we did, but we're covered in His righteousness. It's salvation. It's justification. And that's why Simeon worshipped the infant Christ because Christ was God's way of providing salvation for sinners who depend totally on Him. This little baby would eventually grow to be a perfect man and eventually die for his children, then rise from the dead. So God wants your life. God wants your worship. And get this, gift number three, God wants your purpose. Your purpose for living. Your reason for living. Your purpose is not to live safe. That's the big news today. Your your purpose is not the American dream to live comfortable. Your purpose is not to not get COVID. We live that way right now, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is not marriage. Your purpose is not graduating. Your purpose is not family. And your purpose is not your kids. Read verses 33 to 35 to see what your purpose is. His father and mother, that's, that's Joseph and Mary, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child, Mary, is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Verse 35, And a sword will pierce your own soul. And to the end, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The purpose is proclaiming a message. That's why we're here. Simeon's message was to proclaim very raw truth about Christ. Listen, Simeon did not say, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay? He didn't say that. He said some things that were very dramatic. He said this eight-year-old baby was actually the divider of humanity. We tend to think of race. We tend to think of different peoples, different countries, different languages. We think of different peoples, not God. God is basically telling you the entire human race, no matter what country, no matter what language, no matter what race, is divided into two groups, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That's it. That's how he views it. Look at verse 34. Those who reject him will go to hell. They will fall. Those who follow him will go to heaven. They will rise. Stop looking at all those external things, age, wealth, education, race, church, religion, profession. Those who are in Christ will go to heaven. Those who are not will go to eternity in torment. Those who embrace Christ will be forgiven of their sins. Those who ignore Christ will be condemned for their sins. Those who intimately know Christ are found. Those who just know about Christ are lost. 
No one can come to God except through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that himself from his own lips. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And how many people? No one's coming to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No one. So Jesus says, you'll never be right with God now or get to heaven later if you're sincere. If you call yourself a Christian, if you go to church, if you have a Christian family, you're not going to make it if you trust Buddha, if you trust Mary, if you trust Muhammad, if you trust Confucius, if you trust Joseph Smith, or a myriad of other religions, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how religious you are, no matter how steeped you are into good works and being the ultimate nice guy and incredible grandma, you have to be born again to be right with God. It doesn't matter how good you are or not good you are. Look at the end of verse 34. It is a sign to be opposed. You say, who opposes Christ? Everyone. Everyone in this world, increasingly, we're seeing it in our own nation, are opposed to Jesus Christ. Let me give you an illustration you all know. Somebody slams their finger under an object at work. They use one name as a swear word. Somebody slams their finger in a locker at school. They use one name as a swear word. You never hear them say, blast the Buddha. You never hear them say, uh, manic Mohammed. You never hear them say, crusty Confucius. Just one name. Friends, that's not an accident. That's intentional. The world is opposed to Jesus Christ and his word and his morality and his love, and his provision of salvation. You understand, and maybe you don't, that Christianity is different than every religion on the planet. Every religion on the planet is telling you to be right with God, just work harder. Do these things, pray these prayers, do these things, dress this way, all that kind of stuff. They're saying, that's how you do it. Christianity says, none of that will work. No matter how good you are, how righteous you try to live on your own, you cannot save yourself. God has to do the work. That's the difference between Christianity. And that's what Simeon is saying. And he's saying at the end of his message so powerfully, he says this incredible message. He says, to that end, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. You know, non-Christians, they get upset when you say Jesus is the only way. Or they'll actually embrace the idiotic opposite. They'll say, all roads leave to heaven. You know how ridiculous that is? That's like telling you, just dial any seven numbers on your phone and you'll get mine. Listen, there's only one number that gets to mine, and it's, no, I'm not going to tell you. There's only one number, and everyone else is wrong. There is only one way, friends, and it is through Jesus Christ. No person remains neutral. Many hearts will be revealed, and no one is just, even the indifferent, you're either totally for Christ or against him, even if you're passive. And Simeon's declaring that Jesus is going to be that significant a person as a person who basically is exposed or discusses him or the very process of coming in contact with Jesus will reveal what people are really like internally. When you come in contact with Christ and his message, it will show you who you really are. You'll hymn and you'll haul, you'll make excuses, or you'll say, he's my savior. He's my Lord coming face to face with the truth of Jesus Christ will expose your true character of any person including everyone you like an x-ray it's going to expose you i see it all the time i'll say tell me about your relationship with christ they don't even know how to answer they say oh, i'm a christian i go to church i go yeah but how did you become a christian what did god do and they have no answer 
What Jesus Christ is revealing about you today is significant. You need to be able to answer that question and answer it according to the word, the way God revealed it, and not your own form of Christianity. The key difference, again, in Christianity is God has to do the work. Every other religion is you do the work. Christianity says you can't. You can't. True Christianity from the Bible is that none of your steps, none of your works, none of your religion is going to work. It's never going to be good enough. God has to do it. You'll never be good enough to get to heaven on your own. But God in the person of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, you believe and trust and give your life to him who was born an infant on Christmas, grew to perfection and said he grew to be a perfect, and he was a perfect man in order to die for your sins and rise from the dead. He was the God man. He could not sin. And as your belief and trust grows and God begins to draw you to himself, you can be forgiven, saved, ready for heaven, and you can be intimate with your creator and transformed by Christ, given a new life and a new heart, but God's got to do it. You have to cry out to him to open your heart. Cry out to God so he'll give you faith to depend on him alone. Cry out to God so he'll give you a heart of repentance so you can turn from your way, your sin. Michael's testimony today was perfect. He's living in our midst. He's one of us. And yet he's not born again until the day got a hold of his heart and he realized just how holy and great and God good is and just how sinful he was before God. He cried out and in crying out, God mercifully saved him. And, and, and those of you who know him, he is a changed man. He is not the same guy. And that's what he can do for you. No more guilt, just forgiveness. No more pain, just joy. That was Simeon's message, that God wanted you to understand your entire life now and your eternity are all dependent upon Jesus Christ. As he holds the Savior in his arms, he knows that he, this baby, is going to be the salvation. The perfect child grows to the perfect man who then dies and offers himself that is acceptable to God and is our substitute for the punishment for sin. And here's the message you hear. You can rebel now. You can live life. You can be indifferent to Jesus. You could walk away. Yeah, yeah, okay, Chris, my parents and my friends or all my buddies or relatives have been telling me this forever. And you can leave here, but someday when you face Jesus Christ, and you will, you will bow before him as he condemns you forever to eternal torment. Merry Christmas. Or you can bow to him now and enjoy him now. Be forgiven now, cleansed now, washed now, walk with him now as one day when you then enter into his presence through the door of death and be welcomed as a good and faithful servant and beloved and treasured as his eternal friend. What does Christ want for Christmas? He wants your life. He wants your worship. He wants your purpose. You don't have to go shopping for any of this. It's all laid out in the scripture for you. In fact, Christians call it good news. It's the gospel. It's God who's the one who saves sinners. You don't have to do it anymore. That's what makes it such good news. And you've just heard it. Let's bow our heads, if you would, for a moment. Now understand, I'm still going to be speaking to you, and this is still a part of the message. But I want you, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment, please, so you can concentrate on your own heart. Because there are several ways that you can respond to today's message. Please don't get distracted, but please think with me, and please be praying. How should you respond? Different ways. Cry out for salvation. 
You can't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't act religious. Faith in Christ is to trade all that you are for all that he is. Tell him how disgusted you are with your own sin and tell him you need to be forgiven and cleansed and washed and changed. Listen, talk to Christ in prayer. Because Christ is the living God, he can hear you. And because Christ is the loving God, he will hear you. Many of you desperately need to get rid of your self-made religion, your nice pseudo-Christianity churchy ways, and turn to Christ alone for genuine relationship and a genuine salvation. Some of you desperately need forgiveness for your sins. You've committed things that you've done in secret, things that you've done with others or done to others, things that you've done that have haunted you. Your guilt is sometimes overwhelming. You can't believe that you were involved in this. But you can find forgiveness. You can be forgiven of that debt now and forever in Christ. A few of you here are just worn out. You're weary of churchianity, I call it. You've been trying to live for God on your own strength. And today's the day that you need to embrace Christ in such a way where he says in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A couple of you need to stop fooling yourself. You call yourself a Christian, but man, there's so much pride in your life, so much anger, lust, some obvious sin, selfishness. Or you, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to give, you don't want to serve, you don't want to reach out to the downtrodden, you don't want to care for others except for your own family. And you have fantastic reasons why you don't keep Christ's commands, but none of those reasons will impress Christ. You need to understand that you can fool us. That doesn't matter, but you can't fool him. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts. He knows inside of you. And no matter what you think of me or you think of this church, that really doesn't matter. What matters is, is what Christ thinks of you. And if you have a genuinely transformed, regenerate heart, then you're going to want to obey. You're going to want to repent of those things that stand in the way. Or you're going to maybe today admit, I'm not a Christian and I need to cry out to Christ. With a broken heart, one last time, let me remind you. Let me remind you, some of you, that if you do nothing today and remain separated from Christ, you will spend eternity in torment. It is a real place, and people will spend eternity there in torment. Sin is that bad. And yet, look at what Christ did for us. Look at the sacrifice he made for us. The rest of you can rejoice with Simeon that Jesus Christ came to rescue you, not because you deserve it or were good enough, but because our God is so overwhelming, so loving, so gracious, so giving. Let's make sure that when you give and receive those presents this week, remember the greatest gift that was ever given, Jesus Christ. And if you love him, you will give him what he wants for Christmas. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word points to a life with you, and we desire that life. We pray that you would draw those who don't know you to yourself, that you would awaken their hearts so they could see their sinfulness and their desperate need for a Savior. And Father, for the rest of us, that we could revel and rejoice and sing praise because you began the process of redemption and that first step of humility by being born as a man, born as an infant, a helpless infant, we're so thankful that you did. We owe you everything. And we want to offer you our lives in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast 
and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.